Morning. Yes, I do have this off mute. All right, I would encourage you, if you would, open your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Actually, do this. Let's go John chapter 6 first, and then hold your place, and then go over to Matthew chapter 6. So John chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 63, and then hold your place there, and go over to Matthew chapter 6. Occasionally before we start off youth on Wednesday nights, we like to play a game of some type, and so every now and then we like to do a little sword drill action, see who can turn to certain passages in Scripture as fast as they can. They're prizes that I give them a book, of course, you know, so I don't know what kind of prize that is, but... You know, maybe one Sunday, Jonathan will warm everybody up with a little sword drill to get going. So, uh, that's, your, that's your practice for it. So, John 6, verse 63, and then Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy you've given us this day that we can come and gather together uh, with our brothers and sisters in the faith coming and calling upon you as our Father. And we get to come and do that because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. That you, Holy Father, in the sending of your Son have reconciled sinners to yourself. That we who were once your enemies, who were children of wrath, can now call upon you and pray to you as Father through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we get to come and do that because of the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we can come and pray in the Spirit knowing that he is the one who brings us into that sweet communion, the union of Father and Son, into the love that you bring us into and the love that you pour into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we pray that as we do now discuss corporate prayer and what it means for us as the church, we pray that you would lead us and guide us, that you would bless us, and that you would accomplish your good and perfect will in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through a series over the past few weeks on our corporate worship. So the first week uh, in our corporate worship series, we talked about uh, our call to worship and what we do, why, we, why our service starts with a call to worship. We do a welcome and announcement time up front, but what we believe is that our time of worship starts when we hear the Lord call us to worship in Scripture. And then the second week, we talked about our time of singing together, where we come together and we sing to the Lord. We talked about the importance of that, the blessing of that, the, the times where we have to come and we, have, we, we are able to sing praises to the Lord, rejoicing and praising in all that He is and all that He's done and all that He's doing. But also to have times where we just sang just a moment ago, times where we sing songs that are in the minor key, so to speak where we sing out um, just even our sorrows and our lament before the Lord. And we come together, and part of the blessings that we enjoy in our corporate singing is that we get to hear the other voices around us singing. And so there's so many times where, one, just like in the call to worship, we may not feel like coming to worship the Lord, 
we may not feel as if the Lord would have people like us uh, want him to come, want us to come and worship him. But we hear the Lord call us to worship in the pages of scripture and we are assured and we're comforted that yes, we can come and worship the Lord because he has called us to. And just like whenever we might not feel like singing certain songs or we might not feeling in certain days and seasons of life, we can come and we can hear our brothers and sisters singing glorious truths of who God is and what he's doing and what he does for his people and the ways in which that works into our hearts and blesses us. It is a blessing that God saves us not to be individuals in the Christian life. That he doesn't save us, call us to himself, and then say, all right, go figure it out on your own. But rather, he saves us to be part of his body, the church. And that gets expressed in the local church. And that gets enjoyed by us as we gather together on Sunday mornings and we worship the Lord together. And so it really has been a blessing and encouragement to work through this series on our corporate worship and what it is exactly that we do and why we want to give, our, give ourselves over to it. So I would encourage you, if you missed the first two weeks of the series, if you're out of town or couldn't make it here or downstairs in the nursery, go back and look on the website for the first two, uh, first two sermons in that series on the call to worship and on singing. Today we're going to be talking about our corporate prayer together. So we're not talking about our prayers individuals, uh, so our individual prayer life, but we're talking about the prayers that we pray uh, when we come together as God's people, as the church. So one of the questions that we've been asking throughout this series and will continue to ask is, is it biblical? Is it biblical that we give ourselves over in this time together to corporate prayer? So we don't want to just want to ask is something right for us to, or is something wrong for us to do and then if it's not wrong can we do it but rather we want to say is this right is this good should we be giving a considerable amount of our time over to it our precious time that we have together on Sunday mornings so is it biblical is it right is it good and another consideration that I'd like us to to have today as we work through this is to is to understand and and to think on the on this reality that it's not just what we say that communicates something about God in the service, but it's actually what we do and how we do it that also communicates something about what we believe about God. So it's not just what we say that communicates something we believe about God, but rather it's also what we do and how we do it that communicates something about what we believe about God. So to discuss all of this, we're going to take it in three points. Number one, what is corporate prayer? What is corporate prayer? Number two, is it biblical? So is it right? Is it good that we should give ourselves over to it in our time together? And number three, what then and how then should we pray together? So number one, what is corporate prayer? I tried to offer up the best I could a definition to what I think corporate prayer is and have it in the a sermon handout. Hopefully you have. Um, and, and this will be the definition that we'll work off for what is corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is the response of God's gathered people to who God is, to what he has spoken, and what he has done, is doing, and will do, all according to what's revealed to us in Scripture. So corporate prayer is the response of God's gathered people to who God is, to what he has spoken, and what he has done, is doing, and will do, all according to what the Lord reveals to us in Scripture. So let's just break down that definition a little bit. So first off, corporate prayer is our response to the Lord. It's our response. 
So we see that it's God who first speaks to us, God who calls us into worship, God who communicates to us. And so everything that we do in worship is a response to him. So when we're responding to the Lord, we're revealing to who God reveals himself to be in his word. God speaks to us in his word. He commands, us, he, commands he teaches, he comforts, he, he brings conviction over sin in the word. God reveals his works in the past, in history, in the history of redemption. He reveals what he has done. He also is revealing what he is doing in the life of the church. And also God in his word reveals to us what he will do. So in our prayer, our prayer together is a response to what God has revealed to us in the scriptures. So prayer is our response to his speaking to us. as we think about our response and as we come together and we're thinking about not just prayer as individuals, but as a corporate body, this is our response as God's gathered people. So as we come and we respond as God's gathered people, remember some of the stuff that we even discussed in our call to worship is that we are God's gathered people because he has called us together. So going back to passages like John, Jesus in John chapter 10, where he's talking about how he's teaching his disciples on how he calls his own, he calls his sheep to himself and his sheep know his voice and they hear his voice and they come to him and they follow him. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, Paul gives glorious teaching on what it is, what it means to be God's gathered people. That when God saves a people, he doesn't save them to be individuals, but rather he saves them to be unified, to be brought together, to be built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Well, God will put his glory on display. And then Jesus, in the upper room discourses, he's praying for his disciples before he goes to the cross. We see just such just beautiful teaching and beautiful prayers of our Savior in John chapter 15 and John chapter 17 specifically. We see there really the heart of, of our faith of Christianity spelled out, and that is union with Christ. So the heart or the the essence of what it means to be a believer is that we are brought into union with God the Father in God the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's what we enjoy in faith is that we are brought into union with him. But here's the glorious thing about that is that if we are brought into union with the Lord, with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, that means that we are also brought into union with one another. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches in those, in those chapters, even going back to John 13 through 17, that whole section. He, he's teaching there, his disciples, how the ways in which you love one another and care for one another shows your union with me, and it shows that you really are my disciples. It glorifies the Father. It glorifies the Son for us to live in union with one another. So corporate prayer is our response to God, but it's our response as God's gathered people who have been brought into union, not only with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, but also into union with one another. Corporate prayer is the response of God's gathered people to who God has said he is. Who has God said he is in Scripture? Well, chiefly we can say this, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is one true and only God, but he is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So just as we read, we'll talk about this more later on, but we see this even in Matthew chapter 6, 
God reveals himself to be Father, and so when we come and we gather together, we pray to God as Father. How is it that we come to pray to God as Father? Well, the only way in which we can come and pray to God as Father and know him as Father is because of his Son. It's because of what his Son has done for us, and so we come praying to the Father through the Son. How is that possible? Paul tells us in, in passages going from Romans chapter, one, Romans chapter 1 through 3 and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we are enemies of the Lord. We are separated from him. We are without him. We are in darkness. We are hopeless. We have no right to call upon the Lord. We have no right to gather together and pray to the Lord. We especially have no right to gather and pray to the Lord and call upon him as Father. So what has happened? It's that Jesus Christ the Son has come and take upon himself all of our sin and all of our shame, all that has separated us and exiled us from God, he has taken it upon himself. And on the cross, he bears the judgment and the condemnation that we deserve so that we can know and call upon God as Father. So we come praying together to God as Father because of what Jesus Christ the Son has done for us. And I would just encourage you, if you don't know the Lord today, if you can't have confidence in your prayer life that you can come to God and call upon Him as Father, it's because you do not know the Son. But the glorious truth of the gospel that we were even singing about today is that Jesus Christ delights to come and bring sinners to Himself. He delights to save sinners. And so for all who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him, confess their sins, turning from their sins and believing in him, you can come and know God as your father through what Jesus Christ the Son does for you. And all of this is brought to us and brought real to our hearts and real to our minds, real to our experience, real to our time in scripture reading by and through the Holy Spirit who God gives to us. God pours his Holy Spirit into his people. God makes his dwelling place with his people by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He does that in the life of the individual believer, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. But also, the Holy Spirit comes and resides and dwells amongst us as believers. He's building us, Paul says, and according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, towards the end of those verses in that chapter, how he is growing us together and building us into a structure for the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as individuals, but the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us and in us as we gather together. So when we come and we pray to the Lord and we respond to the Lord and who he is and how he's revealed himself to be, we do that by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How is it that we come to know God as Father? Because God the Father has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts. We don't have a spirit of slavery, but we have the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So in the spirit, we come together, and we together cry out, Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Corporate prayer is the response of God's gathered people as they respond to not just who God is, but to what he has spoken. So as we see the teachings in scripture, as we see commands, as we see exhortations, 
As we see comforts in Scripture, we want to come and we want to respond to what God has spoken to us in His Word. We want to be people of the Word who are giving ourselves over to it, so that as we come to know what the Lord has said, we come to pray better. We come to pray more faithfully according to what He has said. How can we know how to rightly respond to God if we do not know what He has said to us? But if we know what He has said to us, what He would what He would call us to, what he would invite us into, what he would teach us, what he would command us, then we can rightly respond to him. And it's all, corporate prayer is also the response of God's, gather, God's gathered people to what he has done, is, do, is doing, and will do according to scripture. As we go through life and as we experience the hardships and sufferings of life, how amazing is it that we get to come together on Sundays and just by the simple fact of looking around and seeing other people, we can draw comfort in realizing we are not alone. God has saved a people for himself. Whenever we come and we recognize that there are people around us who are in, who can call upon God as Father because of what Jesus, his son, the Son, has done for them, we are reminded that we have been brought into a family, that God has saved people, that God delights to bring salvation to sinners. He delights to call people to himself. But not only that, not only has God done that, but God is doing that. We are real-time witnesses of that week in and week out. And how the Lord saves people and how the Lord sanctifies his people, how he strengthens his people, how he comforts his people. But not only that, we are reminded in the pages of Scripture about what the Lord will do. As we come together and we, as we come together and we gather together and we pray to the Lord, we are reminded about what the Lord has promised that He will do in our lives, what He will do in the church. How nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take us away from the Father. We get to come and be reminded of that as we gather together and as we pray to the Lord. And so our prayer together is a response to what the Lord has revealed to us. So that's what corporate prayer is. So is corporate, corporate prayer biblical? To which we give a resounding yes, right? Of course it's biblical. So is it good that we then give a considerable amount of our time over to it on Sunday mornings? We want to come and we have different prayers, whether it's at the beginning or, or a pastoral prayer in the middle or a prayer of blessing over God's word or a prayer to close us. Let's give a few examples. I'll just reference these. If you want to write these down and go read these passages later on, you can. Let's look just even at the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon has just built the temple and dedicated the temple and the glory of the Lord descends upon the temple and how does Solomon and the people respond? They respond in prayer together, praising and rejoicing that God is near, that God has made his dwelling place amongst his people and makes his glory known. In 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, it's just right after they have just, uh, Josiah under his kingship, they have found the law and they come and they read the law. And how, how do Josiah and all of the people respond to the reading of God's law, to the reading of his word? Prayer. Repentance, fasting before the Lord. They come in confession before the Lord because they realize their sin as a response to what God has spoken to them in the word. In Nehemiah 8 and 9, very similar. They come in that, in, 
in Nehemiah 8 and 9 as the exiles are returning home and they've built the, rebuilt the wall. And Ezra comes and he speaks God's word to the people and he gives them understanding and meaning of it. The people are, are convicted of their sin. And so how do they respond? They respond in prayerful, prayerful repentance to the Lord and to his word. And then, of course, we have the Psalms. God's prayers and, and songs that he has given to his people that express responses to God, whether it's songs and prayers of praise or prayers of lament or prayers of confession, prayers in the midst of sorrows and trials, or prayers thanking God for, just simply for his word and praising him for his word. When we look at the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with responses to God, to who God is, to what God has done, and what God is doing. And we go to the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, as the people experience the salvation of the Lord and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, 42 and following, the people then, as a result of experiencing God in this way, they then respond by giving themselves over to the apostles' teaching, to word, to breaking of bread, to gathering together, but also to prayer. They give themselves over to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, as the disciples experience suffering and persecution because of, of the gospel and the message they've been teaching and preaching, when they gather back together, how do they respond? In prayer. They respond in prayer together, praising the Lord that he would count them worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. They come praying together, praying through the scriptures, praying through Psalm chapter 2, even in that passage in Acts chapter 4. And then we get Paul's commands in the letters, whether it's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, to continue steadfastly in prayer, or uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18, or to rejoice always and pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, in the passage on the armor of God, he, he lists out all of these details on what the armor of God in this illustration looks like. And how is it that you're supposed to put on the armor of God? Well, at the end of the armor of God, as he references the sword of the Spirit, he says, you do all of this in prayer. It's as if to say that God's people put all of that on in prayer, in prayerfulness. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, calling upon God's people to come and pray, pray for their leaders, pray for their political leaders, for the government, that they might li live a peaceful and godly life, a quiet life. So is it biblical? Is it good and is it right that we come and give ourselves over to prayer together? The answer in Scripture is a resounding yes, because prayer is our right response to what God has said, to what God has done, to what He's doing, to who He has revealed Himself to be. But remember, it's not just what we say that communicates something about what we believe about God. It's not just what we say, but rather it's also what we do and how we do it that communicates something about what we believe about God. And that's what we want to look at, number three. So what then and how then should we pray? Let's look at the what. So for Matthew chapter 6, if you'll look back in your Bibles, in verses 9 through 11. Notice in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. So he's teaching his followers, his disciples, how to pray. 
In Luke's account of this story, his disciples actually come up at a, at a different point, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he walks them through a similar framework of prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. This is Jesus the Son teaching us how to pray to the Father. What's the first word there? First word. Our. Our Father. Notice, just work through the psalm, just look, or look through the prayer. Our Father in heaven, give us, in verse 11, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's Jesus teaching us about prayer? Well, one, I think he's confronting our just our sinful individualism that we're so prone to. We think about our individual prayer lives, how prone are we to only thinking and praying about ourselves? But what Jesus is calling us to is to realize that whenever we are praying, we are praying to our Father. We are not simply individuals in the Christian life. He has saved us to be His people. So when Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, He is teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. As we come together. So let's break it down a little bit. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We might say, in, in language that's a little more familiar to us, our Father in heaven, let your name be holy. Let your name be kept holy. Let it be exalted. Let there be no other names besides your name. It's very reminiscent, actually, of the Ten Commandments. Let there be no other God besides you. Let me not worship you in a false way, in a way that's displeasing to you. Let your name be kept holy. And let me not bear or carry your name in vain. Let your name be kept holy in our midst. So as we come together and as we pray, Our Father in heaven, let your name be kept holy. We are praising and adoring him. We are desirous of his name to be kept holy, to be exalted, to be glorified above all else. So we come together and we praise and adore and we ask the Lord to glorify and exalt his name. And that's also what we're praying there as we see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying for as we pray that? We're desirous that the Lord's rule and his reign would come more and more into this world. That his will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven that people would not live in a way that's contrary to Scripture and to the Lord's will, but would live in a way that's pleasing to Him. But not only that, whenever we come together and we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, we're praying that for each other and for our lives together. We're praying, Lord God, would Your kingdom, Your rule, and Your reign come in the lives of our children? Would you take them out from the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your beloved Son? Lord God, my son or my daughter who's grown up in the church but has strayed away from you, would you bring them back to repentance? Would your kingdom come? Lord God, as, as, as we come together and we know about the sufferings and the struggles of the people around us, or maybe we know about how they're dealing with sin. Lord God, would your kingdom, your will be done in their lives. 
And so when we come and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we pray, we're praying to our Father, we're not just considering ourselves, but we're praying that prayer in light of the people around us. I can pray for the people around me based on what I know their needs to be. I can pray for the Lord to work in their lives based on how I know the Lord or how they, they would need the Lord to work in their lives. So we're desirous of his glory. We're desirous of him to work. In verse 11, we come when, when we come and we gather together and give ourselves over to corporate prayer, we're not just praising and adoring him and desirous of his glory, but we also come and we bring our requests before the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. If you're paying attention to Exodus, daily bread was really important, right? They needed that manna. And when were they supposed to go and get, gather that manna? Daily, right? Daily they were to go to the Lord and trust the Lord for provisions that he would give them all that they need. Not only that, though. Not only were you just praying for maybe provisions as far as maybe literal food and drink or, or maybe stuff going on with our lives financially. We, we come and we make our requests known. Maybe I know that someone in the body has lost a job or they're struggling financially and we can come and we can pray for them together. We can pray for specific needs. Maybe they're having difficulties in, in just the things that they have. But not only that, when Jesus teaches on manna that's sent from God in John chapter 6, who does he say is the true bread that's come from heaven for his people? He is. So when we come and we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we get to come and make our requests known to the Lord, praying about the physical needs that we have amongst the body. And that is good that we do so. But what we get to do even more is pray, Lord God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us Jesus. Give us more of Jesus. Jesus is the one who sustains us and satisfies us, fills us. More than anything else that we need in this world, what the church needs when the church gathers together is Jesus. And so give us this day our daily bread. Give us more of your son. Because apart from Jesus, we have nothing. So we can come and pray that together. As we respond to the Lord in prayer, we also, Jesus teaches us to come in, in confession. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. So we can come and pray to the Lord, confessing our sins before the Lord. Why would Jesus teach us to confess our sins before the Lord? If he didn't want to hear our sins and deal with our sins. I think so often we can sit back in shame and guilt. We come on Sunday mornings. Maybe we see things like the Lord's Supper and our heads are just, just hung low in conviction because of sin that we've struggled with. And we think, why on earth would God desire anyone like me to come and fellowship with him? What right do I have to come and pray to him? What right do we have to come and pray to him? But remember, one of the things that we get to do when we pray to our Father, we get to have this in the back of our head. Oh, that's right. 
when we call upon you as Father, it's because of what Jesus has done, the Son has done for us. So yes, we can come and confess our sins to the Lord, knowing that he delights in the repentance of his people. He delights when his people come and confess, because when his people come and confess their sins before the Lord, they are acknowledging that he is the only one who can do something about their sins. And so we can come and confess our sins together and pray for one another in that. Not only that, Jesus teaches us to pray for protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord God, keep us. Listen, we come on Sunday mornings. I, I mean, I didn't get a chance to look around at everybody as everybody was walking in, but is everyone just, was everyone dancing in the aisles today? Because their weeks have been filled with, filled with so much joy in the Lord. You've read your Bible for hours a day and prayed to the Lord faithfully with no distractions. Sin's been no issue whatsoever. And the culture has been fantastic. Surprisingly, the world has woken up every day and say, yes, be a faithful Christian. Is that your experience as you come into service today? No, we do not live in a world where Satan and the culture and our flesh want us to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We have spiritual enemies. But praise the Lord. Jesus teaches us when we come together, we can come and pray for protection. How do we know the Lord's going to protect us? Oh, because in the back of my head, Jesus taught me to pray, Our Father. And if the Son has laid down his life for his people, is there anything that all of the spiritual enemies that oppose us, is there anything they can do to us? Is there anyone or anything that can take us outside of the love of the Father? No. So we can come and we can pray for protection, pray that the Lord would keep us, and we can be confident in that because we are coming and praying to our Father. Our Father. And the proof of all of that is Jesus' Son. So that's what we can come and pray to the Lord. But not only that, it's not just what we come and do as we pray to the Lord that says something about what we believe about God, but it's also how we do it. And just confession, this is, this is, this is where I'm most convicted. It's how we do the things that we do that also communicates something about what we believe about God. So go over now to John 6, verse 63. Jesus says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Listen, as, as we are desirous for God to be glorified and exalted and for dead people to be made alive, for sinners to come and find forgiveness, for our children to come to know the Lord, for us to come and know the Lord's healing and the Lord's forgiveness for our sins, to come and know the Lord's comfort in the midst of sorrows and pain and trials. As we are desirous for all of those things to happen in our midst as we come together, 
How then I approach the Lord communicates something about how I think that's going to happen. So, if I come praying small prayers to the Lord because I think, ah, I can try, Jonathan's going to preach faithfully according to Scripture today, we're good. Andy's going to get up here and he's going to sing songs that are faithful, that are theologically sound, that teach and instruct and comfort. Good. What does that communicate? It communicates the opposite of what Jesus is saying in John 6, 63. It says, I think, or it says, it, it displays, it, it opens up, it reveals this self-sufficiency. It says, I can do this on my own. We can do this on our own. God, thank you for the talents and the gifts. Thank you for the building that we can gather in. But now we got this. But who's the one who gives life? Is it Andy? Is it myself? Is it Jonathan? Grandparents, parents, Sunday school teachers? As we gather together, we have to come and constantly be reminded of this fact that it is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. May the Lord kill within Edgewood an Edgewood sufficiency that says we've got this covered. Thank you, God. No, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So just two quotes just to talk about. I've heard this said in, in two different ways. One, corporate prayer is like breathing. Are you doing it right now? The breathing? If you don't, what happens? You don't live. Corporate prayer ought to be like breathing. Meaning this, that everything we do, not just the set-aside times of pastoral prayer or prayer of blessing over God's word, everything that we do in this service ought to be done in prayerfulness. That as we sing to the Lord, we're praying to the Lord. As we hear the word preached over us, or as we're preaching the word, we're praying to the Lord. Why? It's because we are acknowledging that the flesh is no help at all. It's the Spirit who gives life. Prayer is like breathing. Prayer is also the chief act of faith. It's the chief act of faith. Why? Because prayer says, I don't have this figured out. I can't do this on my own. Only you have all of this figured out, and only you can do this. You and you alone are God. I am not. So when Edgewood comes together, when the corporate church comes together and they give themselves over to corporate prayer, that ought to be the chief act of faith. It ought to be us throwing ourselves upon the Lord saying, Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. And we need your spirit to do it. So it's not just what we say that communicates what we believe, but it's how we do it that communicates something about what we believe about God. So what do our prayers communicate about what we believe about God? Do we come praying together on Sundays in union with one another? 
do we come praying with a holy desperation for the Spirit to work? Because the flesh is no help at all. Do we come praying with a holy desperation? Do we come as if, do we come to the Lord in prayer as if our very lives are supported by the Lord? Prayer is breathing to us. Is that how we pray? Desperately. Yes, we have no life apart from you. If we stop praying, we start dying. And we need you to give life. Our prayers and how we pray them ought to reflect how big God is to us, how glorious He is, how majestic He is, how kind and compassionate and gracious and loving He is. Our prayers ought to be communicating all of that. And how we pray them ought to be communicating all of that. And our prayers ought to be communicating just, just how much we confess and realize how insufficient we are. That we have nothing of good apart from you. As John Newton wrote, You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I heard a story of, of, uh, in a, a book I was reading on prayer for pastors. This pastor was visiting another church, and he, he hears uh, one of, well, maybe one of the men get up in the church to offer up a pastoral prayer. He prays for uh, the, the pastor, because he's on holiday, that he would have a good holiday. He prays for a sick person in the church. He prays for a need in the church. And that was the end. It took about a minute to pray. And the pastor who was visiting said, all of those prayers are fine and good, but these are village prayers to a village God. So Edgewood, when we come together, are we acknowledging that we are praying to the God who has created all of this and sustains all of this by simply the word of his power? And that we get to call upon him as father because the father in love for us sinners who are separated from him sent his son to lay down his life for sinners that they might become sons and daughters of the living God and that we get to come and pray in and by the Holy Spirit and even when we pray weak and needy and broken and imperfect prayers the Holy Spirit is working in the midst of those and the father delights to hear the prayers of his people no matter what they may sound like. He delights when we draw near and we come and we confess by our prayers, by what we say and how we pray them, that yes, you are God and that we are not and the flesh is no help, but you are everything. We need you to do what only you can do. Corporate prayer, here's the encouragement. God delights in the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? He delights in the prayers of his people. And listen, if you might think that's not true of me, listen, he knows you far better than you do. He delights in the prayers of his people, and the proof of that is Jesus' son. Would we question him and the love that he puts on display on the cross? He delights in the prayers of his people, as we call, as we call upon him as our father.
And as we call upon, uh, upon him as our father through the glorious, loving son. And as we do that by the spirit. Edgewood, my prayer for myself as we come and we pray together and for us as we come and give ourselves over to prayer is that we would pray accordingly to who God has revealed himself to be, to what he has spoken to us, to what he has done, to what he is doing, and what he has promised to do in our midst. Let's pray accordingly. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we do thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, we can come to you in prayer, calling upon you as Father, knowing you and calling upon you as Father because of what you, Lord Jesus, have done for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would come condescending to us, taking upon yourself human flesh, to take upon yourself all of our sin and all of our shame, all of our guilt, and that out of joy for obedience to the Father, and out of joy that was set before you in redeeming a people to yourself, you, Lord Jesus, went to the cross on our behalf. And so we get to come and call upon you and respond to you in prayer together, realizing that we, as your people, can call upon you as Father. And we do pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in our midst, in your people's midst here at Edgewood, that you would be glorified and exalted and that you would do what only you can do. Lord God, we recognize and know that there are people in here with so many different needs, whether it's financial, relational, and we all come together confessing our spiritual needs. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would give us our daily bread. We pray that you would give us eyes to see you meeting the needs that we have, that, you, that we would allow us to see just how you provide so gloriously for us, and ultimately how you gloriously provide for us in Jesus Christ, your son. May we here at Edgewood be satisfied by Jesus and satisfied in him. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us of our sins because we have sinned against you but we thank you that you delight when your people come in confession and repentance before you, and we trust that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins. Give us grace to be people who readily, quickly come and confess our sins before you. We pray, Lord God, that you would keep us from the evil one and that you would lead us along paths of righteousness for your name's sake so that you would be glorified and exalted in us here at Edgewood. We pray that you would give us grace to pray in such a way that reflects just how much trust and faith we have in you, that truly there is no, there is no life in what we can do apart from your Holy Spirit. The flesh is no help at all, but it's the Spirit who gives life. And we thank you that you send us your Holy Spirit. So Holy Father, we come praying all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, before saying that it's the Spirit who gives life, Jesus has, has told us where that life comes from. It comes from Him and His death and resurrection. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So as we come and as we gather at the table here, we eat and we drink as a sign and as a reminder that we have been made alive by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that our continuing spiritual life, even to this very moment this morning, is because we continue to feed on the eternal life-giving spirit that we have in Jesus Christ. This is a sign given to God's people for those who have come into union with Christ and who have followed him in profession of faith and through the sign of baptism, but it is one that we take with joy and with gratitude. And it is a sign that is offered to anyone else who would be willing to turn in repentance and faith to find Jesus Christ a willing and generous Savior. Men, would you come forward to help distribute the elements?
in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Father, we thank you for giving up your son for undeserving sinners and rebels like us. Son of God, Jesus Christ, we thank you for coming and living in the weakness of our flesh, yet without sin, so that you could stand in as our perfect substitutionary sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us eyes to see the salvation that is ours in Christ, and for being able to hear the voice of our shepherd calling us out of death and into life. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Men, would you come forward to help distribute the cup?
In the same way, Jesus took the cup, took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Father, we thank you that you did not give your son in part, but in full. To the snuffing out of his own life, to be raised again on the third day. And we look forward to that time when your anointed king, Jesus Christ, who has already conquered sin and death, will one day usher in an eternal kingdom that we will enjoy together with you forever. Jesus, we look forward to the day in which our faith will be sight when we will see you as you are, and we will be made like you. Spirit, until that day comes, would you continue to hold us fast in our faith, secure us, compel us, draw us forward in lives of faith and obedience. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.